Well, at this point, let me say thank you to everyone who's been involved in our service this evening. Uh, thank you to our readers for taking us through the Christmas story. Uh, thank you to the praise group for leading our singing and for their additional pieces. Uh, we really value their ministry throughout the entire year and have appreciated the work uh, that has gone into all of our Christmas services. Uh, thank you to our tech and sound team for their work in helping us all see and hear the service this evening. And uh, thank you to those who have helped decorate the meeting house in such a fitting way as well. I uh, should have mentioned at the start of the service that we're having tea and coffee afterwards. Uh, we'd love you to stay for that. And so thank you to everyone who's made preparations uh, for that uh, as well. It's great that church life has returned to normal. Um, I look back on this service on YouTube from last year uh, during the week and was almost amazed to see that we were still under COVID restrictions. Uh, we were social distancing and we were wearing face coverings. Uh, we're very thankful to have moved on from that period of church life, and it's brilliant to see our building so full this evening. Uh, this is a really important service in the church calendar. It's one of those services that sets many of us up for Christmas and focuses our mind on, how the, fact that, uh, on the fact that our Saviour has come among us. And for just a few moments now, uh, I want us to reflect on the second half of Matthew chapter 1. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first half of Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, and tonight we're going to consider the second half of the first chapter of Matthew. So before we go any further, let's read those verses, and then I'll say a word or two about them. This is our, our final reading tonight. It's Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When most people think of angels at Christmas, they remember that they appeared to the shepherds and to Mary. They often forget that an angel also appeared to Joseph and that he learned some things that no one else was told. The second half of Matthew 1 gives us an invaluable account from which we learn some very significant things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Joseph is the forgotten man in the Christmas story. In church tradition, Joseph has earned the nickname Quiet Joseph. That's because he never speaks. That is to say that in the Gospels, we have no record of Joseph uttering a word. But while Joseph may be the forgotten man of the Christmas story, his prompt, simple and unspectacular actions speak louder than words. The evangelist and preacher D.L. Moody once said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. Well, what, what are we to make as we read of Joseph in Matthew 1? Matthew's record of the angelic visitation to Joseph tells us that to follow Jesus, 
will always require courage. Think about what the announcement of the angel meant to Joseph and Mary. Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows that he is not the father. He decides to break off the engagement, but the angel shows up and said, marry her, she is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But if Joseph marries her, everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know that she was already pregnant. That would mean one of two things, easy enough to, to figure out, what with, with both of those things resulting in them being shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They are going to be second-class citizens forever. The, the message of the story of Joseph in Matthew 1 is that if Jesus comes into your life, you are going to say goodbye to your reputation. And this is just Matthew 1. When we read Matthew 2, Joseph will see that having Jesus in his life means not just damage to his social standing, but also danger to his very life. What are we to take away from the story of Joseph in Matthew 1, though? Well, Matthew's record of the angelic visitation to Joseph tells us that to follow Jesus will always require courage. Courage in three different ways. First of all, to follow Jesus will require the courage to take the world's disdain. You're going to need courage to take the world's scorn if you follow Jesus. In verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What's going on here? Well, two facts are clear. Mary is with child, and because of that, Joseph doesn't want to be with her. What is not clear, though, is how Joseph can be called Mary's husband when they're not yet married and how they are not yet married, but Joseph can divorce her. It's all a little bit confusing. The the, the cultural context is the key. As it was for most couples in this culture, Mary and Joseph's parents had probably arranged the marriage. Here's how it worked. First, the fathers of the two families would engage the couple. This would usually happen in childhood. Second, later in life, the couple would be betrothed. The girl was usually a teenager. The man was usually older. Betrothal is not quite the same as engagement. Betrothal was the nearest step to marriage. During the engagement period, the young woman could break the agreement if she was unwilling to marry the man. But once they entered betrothal, which lasted one year, it was absolutely binding. The only way betrothal could be broken was through a legal divorce. The verses 18 and 19 are scandalous. In the closed culture of the day, in the closed culture of their community, this would have been a scandal. Mary was in a tough spot, but Joseph's spot wasn't any better. Stop and think about it. Walk in, walk in his shoes for a moment. Breathe the air that he was breathing. How would you feel in his situation? Matthew doesn't tell us. But it's difficult to imagine him not being humiliated or angry or jealous. What does he do about it all? Well, he thinks about it. He's an upright man, a just man. And he doesn't want to do wrong by Mary, so he resolves to divorce her quietly. But then an angel appears and tells him that the baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph accepts what the angel says. And he tells his family members and friends. But imagine how those conversations went. All of Joseph's friends will have said to him, either this has happened before you were married or she was unfaithful to you. 
Can you imagine Joseph trying to tell him the truth? Oh, no, 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 I, I can explain. She, she is, she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Imagine the stairs. The truth isn't something that his friends could understand, and they would have thought that he was either crazy or gullible. But Joseph had the courage to take the world's disdain. Virtually all Christian believers will experience the same thing in some relationships. In many other parts of the world, a profession of faith can put your life in perilous danger. At the minute, there is little physical persecution of Christians in the West, but increasingly, there is ridicule and contempt for those holding to historical Christian beliefs. All of this takes courage to face. Courage to say, no, I don't believe that because I'm a Christian. No, I don't go there because I'm a Christian. No, I, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. No, I, I don't talk like that because I'm a Christian. Just as with Joseph, there are going to be a lot of people who just don't understand, and in many cases, your reputation will suffer. You just, you, you don't believe, you, you don't believe that because you believe in God. Are you serious? You can imagine what folk would say. To follow Jesus will require the courage to take the world's disdain. You're going to need courage to take the world's scorn. The second thing we see from Matthew 1 is that to follow Jesus will require the courage to deny yourself. The courage to deny yourself. The, the, the angel appears to Joseph in verses 20 to 22. It is something very specific to tell Joseph, namely what he is going to call the child. In the culture of the day, it was the father's absolute right to name his child. He had complete rights over his children and naming was a sign of his control over the family. The angel, however, takes that away. Listen to what we're told in Matthew 1. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. By refusing to let him name Jesus, the angel is saying, if Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. The, chi the child who's about to be born is your manager. But when it comes to becoming a Christian, one of the big objections people have is that they say, I I'm interested in becoming a Christian, but, if, but, but not if becoming a Christian means I have to do X or Y. Do you know what they're doing? They're trying to name him. They're saying, I want Jesus Christ, but on my own terms. But the angel says that if he comes into your life, you don't control him, he controls you. When you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. What does that mean? Well, it means that you must give up the right to say, if I, I will obey you if, I will do this if. As soon as you say, I will obey if, that is not obedience at all. You're saying, you are my advisor, not, not my Lord. No, if you, want to be, if, if you want Jesus to be with you, you have to have the courage to deny yourself. To be, to be a Christian means that you're going to have to have the courage to do something that our world thinks is absolutely crazy. We're told repeatedly by the world that the one sacred law is to thine own self be true. In other words, we must always look to fulfill our deepest dreams and, and satisfy our deepest desires. But Jesus says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Can I put it to you tonight that if you're not a Christian, 
that you need to do something about that. The most challenging yet exhilarating thing that I have known in life is to try and walk with Jesus Christ and follow him. It's not a walk in the park to be a Christian. How can it be? Jesus didn't promise that it would be. He makes it very clear that it will be at minimum awkward, at most extremely difficult. And that means you will need to have the courage to deny yourself. To follow Jesus will require the courage to take the world's disdain. It will require the courage to deny yourself. And thirdly and finally, it will require the courage to admit that you're a sinner. Finally, and most fundamentally of all, you can't know Jesus personally unless you have the courage to admit that you're a sinner. What, what is Jesus' entire mission? Matthew 1.21 tells us, it says, he will save his people from their sins. Are you willing to say, I am a moral failure? I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't love my neighbor as myself. And therefore, I am guilty, and I need forgiveness and pardon before I need anything else. It takes enormous courage to admit these things. How how do you get the strength to be that courageous, though? Well, by looking to Jesus himself, looking at Jesus himself. If you think that it takes courage to be with him, consider that it took infinitely more courage for him to be with you. Jesus could only save us by facing an agonizing death that had him wrestling in sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane. He became mortal and vulnerable so that he could suffer, be betrayed, and be killed. And he faced all these things for us, and he thought it was worth it. Matthew 1 tells us that he faced the darkness for us. Our closing carol tonight is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's a line in the carol which goes like this. Mild he lays his glory by. Mild he lays his glory by. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came into our world voluntarily, willingly, and lovingly. No one forced him. It wasn't just a duty. He faced unimaginable pain and death out of love for sinners. During the week, a fisherman prevented the worst English Channel disaster ever by rescuing more than 30 migrants from the freezing sea. Four people lost their lives, but a trawlerman pulled 31 screaming people from the icy water. On Thursday, the Daily Telegraph reported on the story, and they ran a picture of one of the migrants on their front page, and this was the headline, Saved After Staring Death in the Face. Saved after staring death in the face. The Christian story, the Christmas story, the Christian faith is the news that despite the fact we're all staring death in the face, we can be saved because Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us, all so that he could save us. Joseph is the forgotten man in the Christmas story. Quiet Joseph never speaks, but his prompt, simple, and unspectacular actions speak louder than words. He shows us that to follow Jesus will require courage in three ways, three areas. To follow Jesus will require the courage to take the world's disdain. It'll require the courage to deny yourself. And it'll require the courage to admit that you're a sinner. How will you respond to Jesus this Christmas? If you know him and love him, will you continue to take the world's disdain, to deny yourself, and to return daily to the cross? If you don't know him and love him, will you trust him for the first time? Mild he lay his glory by. 
He has come voluntarily, willingly, and lovingly. Admitting that you're a sinner would be the first step on your walk with him. And in taking that first and marvelous step, you would never look back. How will you respond to Jesus this Christmas? Do you know it's my deep and earnest prayer, as always, that you'll trust him. Because life in this world doesn't last. We come and go, and in the end, all that will truly matter is if you've trusted in Christ. Can I finish by saying that it's a joy to be involved in this church family. We absolutely love it here as a family. It has been a busy year coming out of COVID restrictions, restarting church life, starting the building project, experiencing times of sadness. Thank you for all of your help and support. Thank you for the simple ways that you encourage us as a family. Thank you for your friendship. I hope that you all have a really brilliant Christmas and a, and a really prosperous new year. But most of all, most of all, I hope that if you don't know Jesus, you'll trust him and walk with him and follow and love him. That you'll have the courage to take the world's disdain, the courage to deny yourself, and the courage to admit that you are a sinner. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of Christmas. We realize that it gives us the bad news of our sin, but, it, but that it also gives us this glorious good news of how Jesus has come among us to save us. We thank you that he, he led his glory by and became human like one of us, yet remained fully God. And we thank you that having been born in a wooden crib, he was hung on a wooden cross all so that the debt of our sin might be paid. Father, we pray tonight that we would throw ourselves on Christ and we pray that those who don't yet know him would come to trust in him for the first time. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. We pray that you would bless our time over tea and coffee as well. Thank you for your good gifts to us and for what you provided for us. We pray that you would continue with us in Emmanuel's name. Amen.